the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to the first edition of Vatican Insider of 2024. In addition to news highlights of the week, I have a fascinating conversation in the interview segment with Father John Paul Kimes, canon law professor at the University of Notre Dame and a member, as I am, of the Historical Commission for the Cause of Canonization of Servant of God Joseph Dutton. You've heard me speak of Dutton in the past. He was a layman and a companion, caregiver, and friend for 44 years alongside Saints Damien and Marianne Cope, to the victims of leprosy on Kalupapa, a peninsula of the Hawaiian island of Molokai. Joined by Pat Boland, who lives in Honolulu, we of the Historical Commission had finished our research in various archives on Joseph Dutton, and, according to Vatican regulations on causes for sainthood, we had to meet as a group in the diocese where the cause initiated that. We did this last month in Honolulu, Hawaii. Well, now to the news highlights of the week. Sunday, December 31st. In his greetings during the Sunday Angelus, Pope Francis noted that a year ago, Pope Benedict XVI ended his earthly journey after having lovingly and wisely served the Church. We feel so much affection, gratitude, and admiration for him. May he bless us and accompany us from heaven. A round of applause, please for Benedict XVI. A Mass of Suffrage had been celebrated earlier in the morning in St. Peter's Basilica at the Altar of the Chair. Archbishop Georg Ganschwein, Joseph Ratzinger's secretary from 2003 until the final days of his life, presided over the celebration. In his homily, Archbishop Ganschwein described Benedict XVI's shining example, and he expressed gratitude to God for the gift of his life the richness of his magisterium, the depth of his theology, of the simple and humble worker in the vineyard of the Lord. Later Sunday, New Year's Eve, Pope Francis presided over the traditional end-of-the-year celebration of First Vespers on the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, and the singing of the Te Deum, the Church's solemn hymn of thanksgiving for the past year. In very beautiful words, Pope Francis suggested we think about the immense gratitude in Mary's heart as she looked upon the newborn Jesus, the astounding depth of the experience as the mother of God, knowing with Joseph where the child came from, yet, quote, his breathing, crying, needing to eat, to be covered and cared for. The liturgy took place in St. Peter's Basilica. About 6,500 faithful had gathered in the basilica, and many more awaited the Pope outside as he made his traditional in-person visit to the nativity scene in St. Peter's Square next to the tall Christmas tree. Monday, January 1st. Presiding over the morning Mass in St. Peter's Basilica on New Year's Day, Pope Francis spoke about this day when we celebrate in a special way the Holy Mother of God, a simple phrase that confesses the Lord's eternal covenant with us. January 1st marks the solemnity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God. The Mother then, said Francis, stands at the very heart of the mystery of time. It pleased God to turn history around through her, the woman. 
with that one word, woman, the scripture brings us back to the beginning, to Genesis, and it makes us realize that the mother and child mark a new creation, a new beginning. Thus, at the beginning of the time of salvation, there is the mother of God, our Holy Mother. January 1st also marks the World Day of Peace. This year is the 57th edition of that day. The Pope's message, published earlier, reflected on the theme, Artificial Intelligence and Peace. Sunday, the Pope also recited the Noon Angelus, at which time he said, I follow with deep concern what is happening in Nicaragua, where bishops and priests have been deprived of their freedom. He shared his concern for the Latin American nation and people, and expressed his closeness to them in prayer, their families, and the entire church in the country. Tuesday, January 2nd, according to a telegram sent on the Pope's behalf by Vatican Secretary of State, Cardinal Pietro Parolin, the Pope was deeply saddened to learn of the loss of life and the damage caused by the earthquake in the Ishikawa Prefecture. In fact, a powerful earthquake struck central Japan on Monday, triggering warnings for residents to evacuate some areas of its west coast, destroying buildings, knocking out power to thousands of homes, and disrupting travel to the region. The death toll is being revised daily. Also Tuesday, the Pope released a video to accompany his prayer intention for the month of January 2024, during which Christians celebrate the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity, January 18th to the 25th. In the video, Francis urged Christians to unite our prayers to his for the gift of diversity in the Church, since diversity is an opportunity to rejoice. Francis noted that diversity in the Church includes our brothers and sisters of different Christian confessions. Wednesday, January 3rd. At the general audience in the Paula Six Hall, the Pope continued his new catechesis on virtues and the vices opposed to them, saying we have seen that the Christian in life involves a constant struggle to resist sin and to grow in holiness. May our weekly reflections on the virtues and vices help us to imitate the Lord's example to grow in wisdom and self-understanding and to discern between good and evil. As we advance in the knowledge and practice of the virtues, may we come to experience the joy of closeness to God, the source of all good, authentic happiness, and the fullness of eternal life. Thursday, January 4th. As the missionary fraternity of the cities were on pilgrimage to Rome, Pope Francis met with the French-based Catholic organization on Thursday. The missionaries serve people in marginalized and underprivileged parts of cities and seek to bring pastoral care and the message of the gospel to people on the peripheries of society. Francis also met with 30 members of the Association of German Catholic Journalists, and he highlighted the role of Catholic communicators in providing truthful information while not fueling conflict even within the Church. Also Thursday, in a statement released by the DDF, the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, it clarified that fiducia supplicans does not change the doctrine on marriage, that bishops are able to discern the application of the document according to context, and that pastoral blessings are not comparable to liturgical and ritualized blessings. This was in response to strong reaction and much confusion around the world after the December 18th release of fiducia supplicans by the DDF on pastoral blessings. 
Friday, January 5th. In a telegram sent by Cardinal Pietro Parolin, Secretary of State, Pope Francis said he was deeply saddened by the loss of life following the deadly explosions in Kerman, Iran, and is praying for those who died or were injured and for their grieving families. Saturday, of course, January 6th, is the Feast of the Epiphany, and I hope it's a beautiful day for everyone who's listening to this program. But now, however, I've just given you the news highlights, but stay tuned to my riveting conversation with Father John Paul Kimes about Hawaii's servant of God, Joseph Dutton. She is one of the most beloved saints of all time, honored as the saint of the little way. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Therese of Lisieux entered the Carmelite convent of Lisieux in 1888 and survived only nine more years. Still, her extraordinary holiness and prayer life prompted her superiors to have her write an autobiography, The Story of a Soul. It became a spiritual classic. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. This is Jim Pinto, director of EWTN Media Missionaries. EWTN Media Missionaries prayerfully take EWTN to parishes and the community through the print and electronic media we provide. You can help EWTN share the good news by becoming a media missionary. Visit EWTNmissionaries.com today and join us in sharing the eternal word with the world. Prayer is the only truly creative power in the world. God is the only one who can create something out of nothing. And when we pray, we welcome God into our hearts. And once he's there, he's going to do something. He's going to change things. He's going to transform us. He's going to make something out of the nothing that is me. That's the power of prayer for me. It's the only power that's guaranteed to change my life. And the only way I know to make that happen is through prayer. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Well, I want to welcome my listeners to another wonderful, very special edition of the Vatican Insider's interview segment. And most of you know, if you've been reading my blog, that I am in Hawaii. It's for work. I know that doesn't sound right, but I am on the Historical Commission for the Cause of Canonization of Brother Joseph Dutton. Father Damien, with whom he worked for years, called him brother. But our cause is presenting him as a layman, because that's what he was from Stowe, Vermont. You're going to hear more in a minute. But I'm sitting here with a very dear friend and a person whose voice you've heard before about Joseph Dutton, because he's also a member of the commission. And we had to meet to do some work. We'll be talking about that in a minute. But the person I'm talking about is Father John Paul Kimes. He teaches canon law at Notre Dame, but he's going to teach you, tell you about himself. So, aloha, welcome, John Paul, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Refresh oh. our memories. Uh, aloha, Joan, and aloha to everyone from beautiful Kaneohe, uh, just outside of Honolulu in Hawaii. And Joan, I'm glad that it wasn't just me that was taking grief for coming to Hawaii for work. Nobody yeah. believes us, <laughs> no. but it's true. It's, as we sit in the beautiful pastoral center of the Diocese of Honolulu, I can assure you that neither of us are sipping Mai Tais on the beach, no, unfortunately. No, no. But the work that we've done, Joan, as you know, the work of the Historical Commission has been uh, over a year of deep investigation into the life of Joseph Dutton, and he was a man of letters. 
He was a man of another time. So that generation exactly. that grew up where you had these long conversations with your friends over long distances by letters. So you and I and our, our colleague Pat Boland have spent a long time, long hours in archives reading letters. And before Joan makes fun of me, everyone, I'll go ahead and confess that most of my letters had been typed out. So I had a much easier job than Joan or Pat, who had to read a lot of 19th century handwriting. Oh, and in French for me. And in French for I mean, thank the Lord I at one time was a French teacher and know the language. So I I was very fortunate in that the archives about Joseph Dutton that are contained at the University of Notre Dame and the libraries there... Uh, most of them have been typed out, so it made for an easier bit of research for me. But you and I have both come to know this man through his friendships. Oh, yeah. As you yourself have said over the course of our work, that he was a man who would write to anyone. If he had your address, as you have you said famously, he would write you a letter if he thought you could help. And all of his motivation and why we believe, you and I and, and, and Pat and others here that have come to know him, why we believe that, that he is in heaven, why we believe he is a saint is because of his friendship with others and bringing them to Christ. Absolutely. He, he lived a life of discipleship that, you know, you and I are called to live, whether we're uh, as a priest, as a laywoman, wherever we are and whatever our state in life, Joseph Dutton shows us the way to devote, to make our lives, as he as he called them, a life of prayer. Exactly. And, and he, he so loved going to Mass. He loved um, receiving communion. You know, and as many times as he could in a week and so forth. But, but you know what I'd love to know, and my readers, uh, my listeners would too, is how you got involved in, in how you got to know Dutton. Yeah, so I got to know Dutton not as intimately as you did because your involvement and your prior relationship with the cause of, of Father Damien and Sister Marion Cope, who all worked together. Go back uh, years, yeah. And they go, your work with them goes back years. Mine, uh, only a couple of years, as a matter of fact. Uh, and I have to confess that it was, I would say, Providence that brought me to know Joseph Dutton because I was asked to be on the Historical Commission because of our mutual friendship with Monsignor Bob Sarno, who has been directing a lot of the work of the diocesan phase of the cause. And, and also, worked in Rome and at, the, who, at the Congregation for Causes for decades. For, he worked in the Congregation for the Causes of Saints for more than 30 years. Yeah. So there's no greater living expert as to how the church declares saints than Monsignor Bob Sarno. Um, so part of it was his friendship and part of it was the providence of God that took me back to the University of Notre Dame. And the providence of God that put a lot of Joseph Dutton's letters in the archives at the University of Notre Dame. So it looks like, oh, well, you know, JP was, is at Notre Dame. We'll, we'll save some money and save some work. Nobody has to travel there. He can oh, walk true. across campus and go to the library. But I believe, as, I'm, as I know you're convinced, that there's, you know, again, the hand of God is, is moving behind all of this. And in coming to participate in this cause, I, like you, have, have fallen in love with the example of Joseph Dutton. So yeah. I believe that... It's actually divine providence that has put all of these pieces together, you know, to bring us together to oh, work sure. on this, to come to know Joseph, to come to know the people here in the Diocese of Honolulu who have dedicated years of their lives Absolutely. to promoting the cause, to doing all of those things that it takes to bring you and, and me to the point where we can now say that we have finished our work. Exactly. Well, that's the whole reason we, we are here, because Rome asks for any person whose name is being proposed for sainthood, two commissions are necessary to look into the life of the person. One is historical, and that's what you and Pat and I have been doing in three different areas of research. 
And then there's the Theological Commission that looks at a person's writings, everything they wrote and said was it, you know, obviously in tune with, with Catholic Church teaching. So we we did our research and we reported to Monsignor Sarno and this meeting was arranged because by Vatican disposition we have to be together at the at the very end putting all the documents together answering questions and signing a document you know in personally well, Joan, I, I think what most people don't understand and to be honest you know including most priests not just not just the the faithful um, you know men and women who are in our churches and who follow your blog and listen to your your interviews and all of the life that you bring behind sort of the color you bring to the life of the church for so many men and women across the world we don't understand that the process of canonization is actually a juridical process the church doesn't put anybody in heaven. No. God brings us to heaven out of his love, out of his mercy, out of you know through his grace, through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that you and I receive that grace in the Eucharist and that, that the same as Joseph Dutton, the same as exactly. we've done since since Christ ascended into heaven. So what the church does is the church has established a juridical process, a, a, a court process, if you will, exactly. that says, okay, we have evidence now that we can say that positively points to the fact that this person is in heaven. And the work that you and I have done with Pat on the Historical Commission is the first part of that evidence. Exactly. So we have evidence that demonstrates that this man lived a holy life and that he was known to live a virtuous life. Exactly. And that, and you and I, I mean, you we, you and I have no doubt. No. We, we have come to see in, in our research the kind of life that he lived. Because um, I read both letters by Joseph Dutton, not as many as you had at Notre Dame, but I also read a lot of the letter, hundreds of letters from the priests who mm -hmm. were at the pastors. Peninsula of Kalopap on the island of Molokai, where the, the patients of, of leprosy lived. And <clears throat> I saw these priests in their writing about Joseph. And the longer he was, he was there for almost 44 years. Yeah. Uh, longer than Marianne and and longer Damien than anyone even. else. Yes, yeah. exactly. And um, so the priests and and this, by the way, it's the order of the Sacred Hearts of Jesus um, and Mary that Father Damien was a member of that order, and then so a priest of that order and four brothers were after Damien died were always on the island and they had to interact with him. So an amazing story. So you and I, you and I have come to know. We've gathered all of our evidence, all of the documents that you and I and Pat have put together. We have finished our work here. So that first bit of evidence uh, is the heroic virtue, the virtuous life that yeah. Joseph led, and and our work has for for the two of us. I know I'll, I'll speak for Pat too. So for the three of us who are the historical commission, we have no doubts no, that the man was a, a, a lived all. a virtuous life, a saintly life, a holy life. Now is time for the second part of it. So all of the work that you and I have done and put together and that Monsignor Sarno has guided, that Bishop Silva here has commissioned and that the Dutton Guild exactly. has supported all of these people working together. Now all of this is going to be shipped off to the, to Rome and a second phase is going to begin. And there is where we need the help of all of your listeners we because now we exactly. have to we have to be able to get that second piece of evidence that Joseph Dutton is in in heaven with Christ and that's a miracle yeah. through his intercession and so we've done the work the investigation of his imitation the call to imitate his right. his own holiness now we're looking for that second piece of evidence which would be his intercession well and, and um, I've been 
writing about Joseph Dutton. I've done radio shows about his life and everything. Told his story a number of times in recent years. But what I do tell people who write me, because I mention asking for his intercession, I do tell people, if you write me because, uh, you know, uh, a newborn baby is very ill and everybody's gathering around in prayer, I said the important thing, obviously, is prayer. But when you have someone whose intercession you want, like Joseph Dutton, everyone has to be praying to St. Joseph, like, say, for the cure, the you know, the health of this child. And that's the part that is so important. You get hospital staff involved, you get family involved, neighbors of the family, etc. So there has to be a oneness about the prayer life, about yeah. praying through the intercession of this person. Right. Because what we're doing, essentially, is we're collecting another piece of evidence yes. for this process. Yes. So the single-mindedness that you said, so that everybody gets together and prays, for the inter- through the intercession of Joseph Dutton, that God heal the sick infant, or that God cure my cancer, or that whatever right. whatever it is. And one of the things that you and I have come to know, and I think both appreciate about Joseph's life, is that I think he's a great, he'll be a great intercessor, not only for veterans, because he was a veteran oh, of the Civil the, War. that's my whole goal, yeah. yeah. People who <laughs> suffer mental illness, because here's a man that you and I are convinced, uh, you know, he didn't have the words, nobody had the words at the time, but he lived through the trauma of war, and for more than a decade after his time in war, he had a failed marriage, he fell into alcoholism, he suffered, you know, so he suffered addiction, and he suffered what you and I would today call post-traumatic stress disorder. That's what most impressed me as I began to read uh, about him, read things that he himself wrote, diaries and everything, because he was a prolific writer. And he would write heads of state or, or just, yeah. you know, John Smith down the road, if you could, as you said, as if you, you could help his people. I was very impressed by this dark period, mm-hmm. this difficult period in his life. And I thought, you know, today we have a word. But for the Civil War, there was no phrase. There was yeah. no shell shock. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I looked back and I thought, you know, people just dealt with something without giving it a name. Yeah. And so... I would be thrilled to someday have Joseph Dutton, the patron saint of veterans. But I think what, you know, and I think in that, you know, not only the way that he could speak to the men and women who serve their countries around the world, who put their lives on the line every day in service to protect our freedoms, to protect us, uh, not only them, but others who suffer that the darkness that that, sure. we, that we all we all have these periods of, of darkness of despair and and joseph dutton's lasted for 10 years yeah this is i mean it's a long time and what brought him out of that was coming to find jesus in the eucharist because what most people don't know and and you know we wouldn't intuit if you've not studied him if you haven't you know read about his life he was a convert to Catholicism. He converted he, well, he at the age of Christian, 40. He was a Christian, but the point I'd, yeah. I'd love you to talk to, to the point that I was really, one of the first things I ever read about him was the faith of his mother. Yeah. And that had to have, even in these dark moments, it's yeah. just Joan thinking this, yeah. that had to have been with him, A, during the war, and then even after the war. Yeah. And then all he has this epiphany and and go yeah, on so, with your so, story. But, he, but, he, but it, it, it is it's so important because Jonas, as you and I know, I mean, we were looking through the archives, and there's a picture of his mother that he kept with him, and on the back of the picture of his mother is you know father would not allow his picture to be taken. So of course, classic man is like, ah, oh, I don't want any of that crazy yeah, technology, yeah. you know, that voodoo of a camera. I don't want my picture taken. 
But on the back of this picture of his mother that he kept with him, he had handwritten, mother was also a convert. So there's this beautiful relationship. Not only was her faith in Christ, you know, her, her Christian faith, which must have sustained him and which must have been part of that spark that brought him to understand the real presence in the Eucharist. And again, you know, as we talk about this, you know, here in the United States of America, we're about to begin this period of Eucharistic revival. Yes. And so Joseph's, Joseph's own passion for finding mercy, compassion, and forgiveness exactly. in his relationship with Christ through the Blessed Sacrament. This, is, this, I think, is, again, it's God's providence that Joseph, you know, that the cause is going on now, that the bishops are moving us into a Eucharistic revival. Here we have a man who suffered the horrors of war and did horrific things himself. I mean, we know that the Civil War was full of, you know, human atrocities that you yeah. and I can only can barely imagine. Well, even him having to bury people, having ah. to, he did work that has been described by himself as hideous. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was such, such a dark period, followed by a, a wonderful period. And, and the faith was, as I said, I'm sure it was imbued in him by his mother and hidden for a while. But, this, but it, had, it had to just come out yeah. one day. He has an yeah. epiphany. Oh, my goodness. What have I Mom was right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Mom was right. Yeah. But the beauty of that is that the reciprocal part of the relationship. So Joseph comes to, or Ira, as he was known at the time. Yeah, exactly. He was born Ira, Ira Dutton. Born, yeah. He was born Ira Barnes Dutton. He takes the name Joseph. It's his baptismal name when he comes yeah, into the Catholic Church. Because he loves St. Joseph. Because he loves St. Joseph. So he, we, and this is how he, it, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. I'm sorry. I don't want to skip too far ahead in the story because it's so great. It's so exciting. But he, he comes to be known as Joseph because it's, it's his baptismal name. So his baptism changes his entire identity. But it does so in a way that then leads his mother to the church. So the faith of the mother that sustained him during his darkest days, he is able to give back to her in the fullness of the Eucharist. So that, that beautiful presence yeah. of Christ in the Eucharist that he comes to discover, he then shares with his mother who comes to embrace the Catholic faith as well. So this beautiful mother-son relationship, all of all of these dynamics that, you know, that you and I live every day. I mean, you know, we know the example of faith that our parents oh, gave sure. us. And, but, you know, or even if we don't have that example, we know the example we can be to others through our own lives of faith. And Joseph had both of those. He had the example of his mother's faith that we know because he writes about it. And then we have the example of his faith bringing his mother to convert to Catholicism. Well, that's all the time I have this week with Father John Paul Kimes, canon law professor at the University of Notre Dame and a member, as I am, of the Historical Commission for the Cause of Canonization of Servant of God Joseph Dutton. Dutton, a layman who was companion, caregiver, and friend for 44 years, alongside St. Damien and Marianne Cope, to the victims of leprosy on Kalupapa, a peninsula of the Hawaiian island of Molokai. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.